Hello, this is Leslie Groffler Tenzer, and this is Legal Tenzer, casual conversations on noteworthy legal topics. As I've discussed in the past on this podcast, clerking for a federal or state judge is among the most rewarding and most prestigious post-law school jobs. Clerks are responsible for researching and writing judicial opinions and get a firsthand understanding of our jurisprudential process. But serving as a clerk comes with its challenges as well as its rewards. Our guest today, Eliza Schatzman, knows firsthand about some of these challenges, including workplace harassment, issues with DEI, and a lack of judicial transparency. She's the founder and president of the Legal Accountability Project, and I'm thrilled to have her join us to discuss her experiences, her work with the Legal Accountability Project, and insights about ensuring a positive clerkship experience. Welcome, Eliza. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm glad to talk with you. Um, But I guess the first place to begin is for you to explain what exactly the Legal Accountability Project is. Sure. So the Legal Accountability Project basically seeks to ensure that law clerks have a positive clerkship experience and then extend support and resources to the ones who don't. I began advocating on these issues because of my personal experience with workplace mistreatment during and after my clerkship. So I really think of the nonprofit as the resource I wish existed as a WashU law student applying for a clerkship a law clerk experiencing mistreatment in my courthouse, not sure where to go for help, and then a former clerk engaging in the formal judicial complaint process. And we use advocacy, thought leadership, and innovative legal technology to increase transparency, diversity, and accountability in judicial clerkships, the judiciary, and the legal profession. Um, That's great. Are you comfortable sharing a little bit about what it was that uh, prompted you. I mean, I you're yeah. anyway. You're you're young, and to have created such a prominent group, advocacy group, so early is just so interesting. So something obviously really kind of inspired you. Yeah, I I share my experience a lot. I'm happy to share it here. So as I said, I went to WashU Law. Um, the messaging around clerkships at my law school, like at every law school, was just uniformly positive. I was told I would develop this lifelong mentor-mentee relationship with the judge for whom I clerked, that the position would confer only professional benefits. I was told to apply broadly, accept the first clerkship I was offered. So I did all those things. And I aspired to be a homicide prosecutor in the DC US Attorney's Office. So I decided to clerk in DC Superior Court, where I would learn from the AUSAs and the PDs who appeared before the judges I hoped to appear before. So I started this clerkship in August of 2019, and beginning just weeks into it, the judge for whom I clerked began to harass me and discriminate against me because of my gender. He would kick me out of the courtroom and tell me that I made him uncomfortable, and he just felt more comfortable with my male co-clerk, told me I was bossy, aggressive, nasty, that I had personality issues, all kinds of stuff you'd only say about a woman. Um, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yep. The day I found out that I'd passed the DC bar exam, so big day in my life, he called me into his chambers, got in my face and said, you're bossy. And I know bossy because my wife is bossy. Oh my goodness. I just remember being devastated. I mean, this is my first job out of law school. The judge seemed to be singling me out for mistreatment. Um, I knew that I needed a year of work experience to be eligible for my next job. I cried myself to sleep at night, wished I could be reassigned to a different judge, confided in some attorney mentors who advised me to stick it out. And so I tried. So pandemic happens, March, 2020, I moved back to Philly to stay with my parents, work remotely. And the judge ignores me for six weeks before calling me up and firing me 
telling me I made him uncomfortable and lacked respect for him. And then he hung up on me. Wow. So I used, I tried to use the judiciary channels that were accessible to me. I reached out to HR and they said there was nothing they could do. HR doesn't regulate judges. Judges and law clerks have a unique relationship. Then they asked me whether I knew that I was an at-will employee. So then I reached out to WashU, my law school, seeking support, found out this judge had a history of harassing his clerks that law school officials, including several professors and the clerkships director, who still works at WashU, <laughs> knew about at the time I'd accepted this clerkship, decided not to share that with me, presumably because they wanted another WashU student to clerk. So it took me about a year to get back on my feet after this. Got my dream job in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, moved back to D.C. in the summer of 2021, intending to put all this behind me. And I was two weeks into training when I got some really devastating news that altered the course of my life. I was told the judge had made negative statements about me during my background investigation, that I wouldn't be able to obtain a security clearance, Mm -hmm. and that my job offer was being revoked. Oh, my goodness. So I filed a judicial complaint hired attorneys, participated in the investigation into the now former judge. Partway through that, I found out he was on administrative leave pending an investigation into other misconduct at the time he'd filed the negative reference. The U.S. Attorney's Office was really never alerted to those circumstances. Um, Following his removal from the bench for other reasons, he issued a clarifying statement to the USAO addressing some of his outrageous claims But by then the damage had been done and I was pretty much blackballed from my dream job. And so now in my work, I share my experience a lot. And what I seek to underscore is that my negative experience is not rare, but it is one that is rarely shared publicly due to the culture of silence and fear surrounding the judiciary, one of deifying judges and disbelieving law clerks. It's interesting. I mean, as you're saying this, um, what I'm thinking about is not only that there is kind of a shroud of secrecy around it, but that this was your first job. And when you first entered the law profession or any profession, you don't know what's right and what's wrong, right? You you haven't yet experienced enough to say this is unacceptable. So it's almost, you know, it's compounded is the word I'm looking for. It's almost compounded by the fact that you were a neophyte in the legal profession. I think law clerks are particularly vulnerable to mistreatment for a variety of reasons. And one is exactly what you point out. This is their first legal job. They're also exempt from Title VII. There are no workplace protections. Judges are never disciplined for misconduct. But law clerks fear retaliation by the judges who mistreated them. They fear reputational harm in the legal community. They're told never to say anything negative about a judge. And that is why these fears keep law clerks silent. This is why judges continue to get away with misconduct. Yeah. And and it doesn't make them better judges. It doesn't give them better opinions. I mean, there's really no reason other than unhappiness, (laughs) which is why I explain anyone who's nasty. But, you know, I'm wondering, the Supreme Court right now is kind of grappling with their own ethics, right? And and some, some of the justices don't even want, you know, ethics regulation. So, you know, I'm wondering what is the sentiment about regulation among judges? And do you think it's different than maybe in the legal profession, which is governed by the Code of Professional Responsibility, mind you, but I'm just wondering about that. Good question. So I speak to a lot of individual federal and state court judges about these issues. 
The legislation that would address some of these problems is called the Judiciary Accountability Act, or JA, that would extend Title VII protections to law clerks and federal public defenders. It would also revise the Judicial Conduct and Disability Act to make the complaint process more complainant-friendly and to ensure that judges who step down to evade accountability and investigation into their misconduct will continue. Many rank-and-file judges support extending Title VII and making some reforms. Some of them ascended from state court benches, and they say nothing about me magically changed when I got life tenure such that I should be exempt from these laws. Right. Judiciary leadership's position has just been vociferously opposed to regulation forever. Back in the 1990s, Title VII was extended to the other two branches of government, the judiciary opposed reform at that time, and they have maintained that position. I speak with lots of wonderful rank and file judges, and I work with the judiciary wherever I can, critiquing judiciary-wide policies where I must. But I worry that some in judiciary leadership just discount the scope of these problematic behaviors, just disclaim responsibility for addressing them. And some of these judges who've been on the bench for 20, 30 years just seem to live in this rarefied air where they believe they are above criticism, above being reviewed, above scrutiny. And that is wrong, regardless of where in the judiciary you work. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely generational in some ways. I think that's true. And, you know, whereas being a judge is right out of law school and you're in, you know, your early, you know, your mid 20s or early 30s, being a judge, you're older. So there's, you know, that kind of generational experience gap. And I just want to point out that Title VII prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. So how do you how do you reach out to new clerks? How do they find you? Good question. A variety of ways. I mean, I am very active on social media. I write and speak a lot about these issues in both legal publications, mainstream publications. I've been on many podcasts talking about these issues. Um, So they find me organically. We are reaching out to former clerks to encourage them to fill out our post-clerkship survey about their clerkship experiences via bar associations, alumni networks. Um, Last year, following our launch, we went on a Fixing Our Clerkship System tour where I visited more than 20 law schools. Wow! So I connected with lots of people that way, and we got a lot of publicity around the launch um, and those issues. So a variety of ways. I think when we launched last year, some people probably wondered, is this just some girl like criticizing judges? Clearly, that is not what I am doing and that I encourage people to clerk, but it's about being mindful about who you clerk for. And Mm -hmm. we have a judge on our board of directors. We'll have more soon. We have lots of judges supporting us, reaching out to deans and clerkship directors to convey support. It's really just a small, I think right now, silent handful of judges who probably oppose transparency and account and They oppose transparency because they oppose accountability. They oppose accountability because they're doing the wrong thing. (laughs) Right, right, right. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so do you foresee kind of advocating for individual clerks? So a clerk can reach out to you and say this, it doesn't feel right. And you can kind of help them get the resources to make sure that they're um, treated the way they should be. Yes, I field a lot of individual inquiries from clerks, current and former, people trying to figure out how to leave their clerkship, how to seek an employment attorney who can help, how to file a complaint. So I feel those inquiries a lot. I am very grateful for everything my attorneys did for me when I was going through these issues. I couldn't have done it without them. One of our goals over the next year or two with the Legal Accountability Project is to create an employment attorney consortium 
to connect mistreated law clerks with attorneys who can help. I speak with circuit executive directors of workplace relations in the judiciary, and they want more clerks to come to them with these issues. But what I try to convey as respectfully as I can is that law clerks do not perceive anybody in the judiciary as responsive to law clerk concerns, because historically they have not addressed their concerns. Interesting. So what are some red flags that law clerks should be aware of? Oh, that is a great question. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing, a couple of things I hear a lot. Judges who fire previous clerks. That is always something, if you know that somebody has ended their clerkship early or you find out other people have ended their clerkships early, that is an enormous red flag. But judges are managers running a small workplace. And so there are some things you just have to do as a manager. Be respectful. Be sensitive to diverse identities. Provide feedback constructively. I think early red flags would be non-constructive feedback. So yelling, um, I think, is a red flag. Obviously, sexual comments are always a red flag, but I think that happens less. There are just basic workplace issues that I think if it feels wrong, it probably is wrong. And unfortunately, we are conditioned to sweep that under the rug, to put our heads down and just endure the mistreatment. And you really shouldn't do that because what starts off as small injustices will likely spiral. And and I just want to say for listeners that that's true in any workplace, right? If, if someone's yelling, that's not a good sign, you know? Um, and I want, I, I, again, we've said this before, but you really kind of struck a chord to me in that when it's your first job, you don't know what's right and wrong. And so if it feels wrong, seek kind of some kind of help or just a sounding board to see if this is makes sense or not what's going on in your in your in your workplace particularly a judicial here unfortunately law clerks are so conditioned particularly by their law schools to stay silent and endure it we there's way too much messaging on law school campuses for example that a challenging clerkship which is a euphemism for mistreatment is right. worth it for the prestige. And that is such trash messaging. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, it's true. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a professor, obviously, in the law school. And like getting a judicial clerkship is the highest of high in terms of respect. And we, you know, we have a program that helps our students get clerkships. And you're right. So there's like, it's like a no questions asked thing, you know? It's how when I went to law school, you felt lucky to be in law school. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but it was like, wow, I'm in law school. I can deal with anything. But (laughs) um, so I'm assuming this is a not-for-profit. So let's just see, do you take donations? Do you want donations? Can we get to give you donations? (laughs) Yes. Yes to all three. (laughs) And how do we do that? Anyone who's interested, how do they go about giving a donation? Um, Our website is legalaccountabilityproject.org. So they can go there to donate to us or they can reach out to me directly. Perfect. And I will link all of that information on our website. Any other information you think we should know about? So our major initiative this year is a centralized clerkships database that democratizes information about judges as managers and clerkship experiences. You can visit survey.legalaccountabilityproject.org right now and share your clerkship experience with us. Good, bad, medium, we want to hear everything. This will help us finally increase transparency in the clerkship process, ensuring that students 
regardless of your law school's ranking and resources, can have more information about more judges. And if you are a student or an alum and you think this would benefit you, reach out to your law school's deans and clerkship director and tell them to participate. Terrific, thank you. And thank you so much. This has been really informative and interesting. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss or a professor or attorney with whom you'd like me to speak, send us an email at legaltensor at westacademic.com and send us any suggestions you may have. We love getting feedback. Have a great day. This podcast was created in collaboration with West Academic. Additional episodes can be found on the West Academic Study Aids Collection. Students may already have access through their school subscription and can check with their law school library for access. For a limited time, Legal Tensor listeners can save 15% on titles on the West Academic Store with the promo code TENSOR15 at checkout.